Hello and welcome to Save Your Game. This is a podcast where I talk to people from in and out of the gaming universe about the games that have dominated and defined their lives. We'll be talking about when they played them, why they played them and all the things they loved about them. Whether you're a noob or a pro, we'll be talking about a multitude of your favourite games, but in the end, there can be only one. At the end of the episode, I'm going to force my guests to make an agonising decision. They must choose their one game to save for the Save Your Game podcast and be immortalised forever. I'm Frankie Ward and I'm someone who is lucky enough to talk about video games for a living. From hosting at major esports events, interviewing pro players or talking about the newest games to hit your gaming platform of choice. As a lifelong gamer, I'm excited to see if my guests had the same experience of growing up obsessed with gaming as I was and finding out what games they choose as the milestones of their own gaming lives. Now, before we get started, if you love gaming as much as we do, there's a whole load of game-related stuff you can dive into. So make sure you head to redbull.com to keep track of which games get inducted into the Red Bull Save Your Game podcast, latest news on all the episodes, and a whole lot more gaming content from us. My next guest on the show is an esports legend and the man who leads one of the biggest gaming brands in the world, Cloud9. It is Mr. Jack Etienne. Jack, welcome to Red Bull Save Your Game. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, I have a feeling that you're quite a busy man. Maybe you don't have time for games, but is there anything you're playing at the moment? I wish I could say I didn't play any games. I was working all the time. But that's not true. Uh, I do like to have fun. I still play games. Um, right now, what's keeping me up late at night and getting me uh, out of bed early is Wild Rift. I've been playing a lot of that lately. But the joy of Wild Rift is it's basically the mobile version of League of Legends. So you could just play it in bed, Jack. Oh, okay. Actually, technically you're right. And actually you're right. I have definitely said uh, before I go to sleep, I'll play one game of Wild Rift. And so, yes, I am playing it in bed. I'm playing it on the couch. I'm playing it with my daughter. So it's really fun. Oh, you get to play it with your daughter as well, I guess, because uh-huh. if you're both on mobile devices. Yep. She has an iPad. I have an iPad. So we'll both we'll both sit on the couch and play. It's really fun. What kind of roles do you delegate to each other? Generally, we like to play together. So we'll swap between playing um, support or AD carry and what they call the dragon line. Ooh, okay. And is, does Wild Rift very much from the traditional setup of, of League of Legends? Because I've played some tutorials in Wild Rift, but I haven't had a chance to actually play a whole game yet. It's very familiar, and if you were to be watching a stream of someone playing, you'd probably think, oh, this is just League of Legends, and then you'd be going, wait a second, like people are getting ultimates at level five. Um, so it's kind of like a faster version of League of Legends. You get full build faster, uh, you get to max level faster, but a lot of the basic strategy of the game is, is very similar, and a lot of the champions are exactly the same. I feel like I might have to give it a go. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that League of Legends is a huge passion of yours, so I have a feeling we're going to be talking about it later on in the podcast when we get down to the nitty gritty and we discuss the three games that you've chosen as the most impactful ones in your lives. Mm -hmm. But Cloud9 also represents players in a lot of different esports. And I wanted to find out from you what makes you sway towards picking up an esport for example right now you've got cloud nine blue and cloud nine white in valorant so you obviously invested in valorant quite early on and you've you've committed twofold to it yeah i mean um if you look at us historically we we got and we get involved in what i think are going to be good esports very early and you know there is a specific um, distinction on what makes a good esport. Generally, it's you know it doesn't matter if the game is super good if the spectating experience isn't good. It's probably not going to be a good esport. So um, you know, Overwatch. I had a lot of hope for Overwatch being good. I got in super early. We you know 
our incredible plays have coined the C9, which is, yeah, uh, not so great. <laughs> but hey, um, we did it and we got there. And we, and because we were in early, you know, uh, we gave us a good view on how the team is, the, the game is progressing, if it's going to be a strong esport. And when, I need to actually formulate a really good team for, for professional play. I, I kind of, I have a good feeling for wh who the good players are and, and that really helps us. So getting in early and consistently getting in early on games that I think are going to be good esports has really helped us. Um, specifically with Valorant, um, uh, I knew pretty early on that they, they were going to be supporting women's esports and, uh, in ways that other publishers hadn't. So I, you know, when I saw like this incredible team of women playing well, I'm like, Oh, I need to get this team. These, these seem amazing. And I really wanted to support that. And I wanted to support it in a way that, um, hadn't been done before where like I, I came in with the exact same budget, um, with my male team. And I wanted to, I wanted to make sure they had good, coaching staff and analysts and management. Um, and that, that, that experience has been really fun for me. Um, and, uh, you know, the, that I would say that team, like the, the, our white team has, um, definitely caught more of the excitement of the community than our blue team, but I'm trying to, to patch up our blue team. We brought over some counter-strike players that I think are lights out good. And I think, uh, once they get comfortable with the game, I think the blue might be able to get some wins too. This is the thing. I'm known for loving my Counter-Strike. I'm slightly bereft that you've taken Floppy from Counter-Strike and you put him into Valorant. Maverick yeah. Floppy. I, mm. I do need to ask you there for how you decide to take teams out of an eSport, whether that's for the foreseeable or temporarily. So, for example, you had a very successful Rocket League team, but... Mm. They don't exist anymore. The same happened with PUBG and, of course, most recently, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. So how do you come to make that difficult decision? Um, each one of those had different reasons. Um, so I can't apply the same logic to all all three of them as to why I left. Um, specifically, let's talk about Counter-Strike, which is a game I love. I think it's like a gold standard of, of, of uh, spectating experience. It's fantastic. And, um, you know, we, you know, we are the only North American winners of a major. And so, you know, we've had the highest highs and then we've had the lowest lows in that game as well. Uh, and um, I think there's been several issues where um, I think the publisher needs to get more involved in directly doing events. And I think that's been a, a struggle for me um, when uh, and for the scene in general. And then North American development has been really rocky. And now even at the highest levels of North American play, um, it, it's we're in, it's a we're in a troubled time for for North American Counter Strike. When I built the team that just recently dismantled, the idea was always to bring that team to North America um, to, uh, as soon as we could, as soon as COVID looked to be done. Um, and what was happening as COVID wasn't ending, um, my North American players were very unhappy in Europe, um, away from their homes. Of course, who wouldn't be? like to expect anything different um, would, would be insane. And like, so they've been out there for a very long time and not the best conditions. Uh, I was worried about their health as COVID was, was getting stronger. And what do they come back to? There's like literally no North American scene happening right now. So um, I would definitely say that the game is still amazing, that we want to be in North American Counter-Strike and we will return when the conditions are better. Um, but the, the fact is that it's just not good right now. And that project was, was not, wasn't set up for, for success anymore. So, um, you have to, um, 
despite how much money you may spend on something, if it's not working, like it's insanity to keep spending dollars against it when things, something's not working and you at some point need to pull the plug just because I spent a lot of ton of money on building that team. If it's not working, if the players aren't happy, if the, the trajectory of the, of it isn't good, like pull the plug, like stop it. And so that's what I did. Um, and we happen to also have a really flourishing Valorant scene here in North America. These players are really interested in not only the game, but they are also very interested on the roster that we had. They uh, specifically Leaf and Zeppa played together. Um, Floppy knows those guys. Uh, he knows a lot of the coaching staff. And so it just seemed like, you know, we, I didn't expect them to actually say, yeah, I want to play Valorant. But I'm like, hey, this crazy idea. What do you think about like coming back home and then playing for a Valorant team? And they're like, when can I get on a plane? Send me home. <laughs> and so um, it just fit really well. Um, so now they are just like, I could pick up a Puma shoe and throw it and hit their, the house that they're in from here. It's like, it's just like four doors down. Um, so they're there right now, grinding away, getting ready, getting ready to play T1. Well, say hello for me, please. <laughs> I will. I will. Definitely. So Jack, before we get into the list, there's one more thing I need to do, which I, I want to mm-hmm. know what your first gaming memory is. Can you remember? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my parents were always super supportive of whatever I was interested in. And uh, my earliest days, like, you know, I'm aging myself, I'm 48, but my dad brought home like a, literally a Pong system, like so long ago. And I remember picking it up with like this funny little paddle and you bounce a ball back and forth. And I loved it. Like, I just like, this is the coolest thing ever. And, um, and from there on, like every gaming system that was coming out, my, my, my dad didn't even really like the games very much, but he saw how much I loved it. So, and so as the gaming system came out and if I wanted, you know, Hey, I want to get like an Atari or whatnot. And he, he would support it by getting those games. So I remember playing just hundreds of games on these different systems growing up. And it was always a core part of my growing up. And I was very involved in, traditional sports like you know soccer and baseball and swimming and water polo all sorts of stuff i was very active but another big part of my competitive drive was always playing video games with my friends trying to get better at games either like games where we work together as a team or just beating them one-on-one like i remember when street fighter street fighter 2 came out it was just like a new level of competition that i absolutely loved and needed it to spend all of my free time doing jack are you an only child No, I have a a lovely sister who's one year younger than me, currently living in London. I was just wondering if she was someone that you played video games with or if you did with your dad, because it sounds like he was very keen to get involved and to foster that love. Yeah, he, you know, he loved seeing us play. We definitely played, uh, played games, but she was less interested. She was, I would say, uh, uh, even more like physically gifted at, at playing games, uh, at playing, like she played volleyball, like she was like an all American. So she, um, she was much more on the traditional physical games. And I think I was more of a, like I was better and stood out more in the video game. So I would generally play against more of my friends, but she would, she would get in and play with me. But I had, I had a really great like group of friends growing up all around my neighborhood and played with them for the most part. So these games, these three games, Jack, would you say they have helped you develop professionally or personally? Yes, <laughs> both. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all both of them. Um, it's interesting when I think back on it. Like when I was growing up, video games were definitely like not considered good for your career and not good for socialization. And these games weren't online, so there's 
something to be said about that. You know, you could be spending a lot of these time, a lot of time on your own, but generally the games I played were pretty social with friends around and we watch each other play. And so for me, it definitely gave me something to socially talk about with my friends quite a bit and get excited about and drive my competitive drive. And it wasn't until my later years, probably until my college years that I really got into like the massive social games that were, I really felt like, Hey, I'm actually learning good skills here that I can apply to my professional life. Did I ever think that this would actually be a career? Hell no. Like I didn't think that's possible, but it ended up being that way. Well, Jack, let's get started. The first game you're thinking about saving as your save your game champion is a much more recent game than the ones you've just been talking to me about. Team Fight Tactics. Uh. One of the newest games mentioned on the podcast, Team Fight Tactics, is an auto battler game where you buy and sell champions to create a powerful team that fights on your behalf, using signature abilities to help sway the tide of the battle. Create the best team with the most synergy, beat your opponents and win. Originally released in 2019, TFT has gone on to become one of the most popular auto battlers around, with a blossoming competitive scene appearing too. I haven't actually played this, I have to confess, and it's partly because it comes from the auto chess family and mm-hmm. I watched Queen's Gambit recently. I really liked it, but I didn't go, I really want to play chess now. I just, mm. I don't see myself as someone who's going to be able to take that on and be good at it. Right. But obviously you're into your auto battlers. So so tell me about how you got into them. Yeah, let's see. There was one that uh, Valve put out as a Dota based one that I think it was a community game that was put together. There was a mod, Dota chess. Yes. Auto chess, right? Yes. And I played that and I'm like, whoa, this is really fun because of a couple of reasons it often i'll be like stuck in a obviously a, a very interesting meeting um that's got all my attention but i you know maybe could play this game to get me through that really interesting meeting um and so the, what's really cool about these games is that you can play them without having to take 100 percent of your attention but still play them at a pretty high level so it was definitely something that would be running like in the background like through through meetings or whatnot just to kind of keep me you know peaked and these games are like uh, not only are they, you know, there is a lot of strategy to it. Um, there's a, a really nice social component. So you can play with your friends, actually have conversations with your friends while playing this game. Um, where like some other games, like basically I, I, if I play League of Legends, I can only focus like on League of Legends. Like trying to have a conversation while playing this game means I'm playing absolutely terrible. But that's not the same with TFT. It's a, it's you're able to kind of carry a conversation at the same time while playing this game. Trying to have a conversation while playing this game means I'm playing absolutely terrible. But that's not the same with TFT. It's a, you're able to carry a conversation at the same time while playing this game, which is pretty fun and unique. And additionally, like one of the cool things about TFT is if I do really terribly, like everyone else the game is, is really happy <laughs> and so um so it's not like i'm letting down teammates so that's a that's a game where it kind of fills a specific void when i can't uh, when i'm not able to put all of my attention to on that game i can still play really well have a really good time and no one is upset if i actually play bad sounds kind of a weird way to explain it but it actually relieves a lot of stress because for me and i'm sure a lot of people i really do not like letting my teammates down um, so when I'm in a team environment, um, there is a, a certain level of expectation I have on myself to to really be a good teammate, uh, and I don't have that stress on TFT. 
I was going to ask if you preferred it being a, a 1v1 game because of the lack of having to communicate. But it sounds like yeah. it's more the other way around. <laughs> you don't want to let anyone down. I can communicate, have a conversation. And if I'm playing terribly, everyone's like, awesome. I'm just beating your ass and it's fine. Um, but it and it's it, so it is it's an interesting game. It fills a specific niche. Uh, and so it's not, you know, it's very different than some of the other games I enjoy. So why TFT as opposed to any of the other auto battlers out there? I feel like they are changing the balance of the game and the sets of the game quite often, which really keeps it fresh. Um, and as each new like release comes out, it feels like I'm a brand new game that you need to figure out. So I really love Riot's approach to, to keeping these games fresh on a very consistent basis. So they've done a really good job. Like they, they've been doing it with League of Legends for a while and they've applied some of those techniques to, to, to TFT. And so it always feels like a fresh game. Did you ever think about playing, or maybe you have played in the past, CCGs like Hearthstone? Why chess rather than card games, given that they're both solo games? I definitely am saying I do not like Hearthstone. I definitely spent too much time on that game. And let me tell you, like, that was the too first... Too much money. Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, played, uh, paid a win. Uh, but the thing is, is uh, Hearthstone, like, I remember when, they, when Hearthstone went mobile with their mobile app, that was like a very dangerous experience for me because generally I could walk away from the computer and I was like, you know, okay, I'm not going to have this thing taking my attention. But I remember like, Oh, Hey, cool. Hearthstone is on, on my phone. Honestly, I'm been, been bad, but I'm just going to crack this open for a second, play a game next thing you know, like three, four hours go by. It's like 2am. Like, what have I done? You know? <laughs> so it's, um, it's pretty damn cool that like, it's the exact same game, regardless of the platform and you're playing against the same people. And what's really cool, like with TFT, like you literally mid game can swap say you're in the middle of a really good game on your desktop and you need to like leave for whatever reason hop into an uber or whatnot you can actually just turn on your phone turn off your desktop and you're like basically picks up where you left off in the middle of a game which is really damn cool is there a bit of an rng element to teamfight tactics you could say the same thing about a, a lot of different games um and of course there is some rng but you can mitigate a lot of rng um to to put things in your favor but that's what's kind of fun you obviously think that this has got serious competitive legs, Jack, because you do have TFT players. So, so tell me about your decision to move into the game professionally. I would say sometimes, sometimes the games that I get involved in are passion projects and more of a passion project than like, hey, this is a really great spectator experience. Um, I'd have to say, I hate to say it, it was probably a little bit with World of Warcraft as well. Like, damn, I love this game and I'm going to have to support it. Um, so not all games are like, I see like, oh, this is an amazing stage game and something I have to be a part of. Um, and definitely TFT and uh, World, World of Warcraft Arena was more of a passion project and I wanted to support it. Do you play Teamfight Tactics against any of your players? Yeah, we have had a few internal tournaments, um, which has been really fun. So um, when we, you know, uh, especially with COVID going on, we're trying to figure out fun things to do. So we have had like some TFT tournaments internally here at Cloud9. Um, I did not win those. Uh, surprise, you know, because I'm the boss, you know, like, you know, throw me a bone, please. And they didn't. They just crushed me mercilessly. But, you know, these guys, like, they're super competitive. Whatever they're playing, they're looking to win and they're really smart. And so it's hard to beat. It's hard to beat them. 
Would you ever go up against another CEO? Because I could see you going up against Carlos from G2 in TFT. I mean, I'll be down to, I'll be down to do that. Um, I know that Steve is actually, Steve from Team Liquid is really good at the game. So that could be really fun, actually. And I, and it's definitely a game that the ping isn't an issue. So I think we should do that. I love that. Maybe we'll have like a united and rivalry with all the BMW teams, uh, all the CEOs. That could actually be a really good, for, good game for us to play against each other. So I, I like that idea. We can find all the Red Bull teams. Oh, hey. Carlos, hello. What am I thinking? You're there you go. genius. Let's do this. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so just a, a final few things, I guess, on TFT. Do you think it has helped you in any way personally, maybe mentally, cognition in the afternoon? Actually, that I'm quite sure it actually has because if the day is running a little slow, maybe around four o'clock, there's a that's a great way to stay engaged, just play some TF2. So why should this game or why could this game be considered for your save your game ultimate game? I would have to say probably because I've of all the games that do have rankings on ladders, I perform better on it than most of any other games. I'm like in permanent Silvertown on League of, on League of Legends, uh, but I think I've gotten as high as Plat on TFT. So I'm going to go ahead and say it's a really great game because I look okay at it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> TFT is one of those games that when it clicks, it clicks. And there is a steep learning curve at first, so expect listeners to lose some games. However, the fun comes when you start finding out your own favourite combinations to help you take the field and win. Jack, what tips would you give players approaching TFT for the first time? Um, go cultists. It's super simple. If you just pick all cultists where you can, throw them out on the board. If you get to nine, you're probably going to win the game. I have no idea what you just said, but I'm going to give it a Google. <laughs> yeah, give it a shot. Try it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to head into your second game now. And this isn't the biggest jump in a way, even though it's a totally different genre, because it is the game that inspired TFT in the first place. The next game you're considering to save is the one you're best known for. Well, the one that made Cloud9 really what it is today. Let's mm -hmm. kick things off. League of Legends. Yes. The game that I absolutely love but will not let me out of Silvertown. I cannot get out of Silver. I've been to Silver one so many times and I just cannot cross into gold. I don't know what the deal is. How many years have you been trying to get out of Silvertown? Man, you really got to go into that again. Come on, it's been, it's been a while. It's <laughs> probably eight years. <laughs> and that's actually when when you got involved with Cloud9 and, and essentially acquired a team and, and made this mm -hmm. org, or at least started building this org, which is now one of the most iconic brands in esports. Mm -hmm. But when you were first introduced to League of Legends eight years ago, was it Love at First Play? Had you played MOBAs before? Let's see. That's going way back. So... I guess the first time I really saw competitive League of Legends was when I was working with TSM and helping them on their team. And I remember going to tournaments like with Reginald and watching them play and not exactly understanding what the hell was going on. I had a bit more familiarity with Dota, so I was just trying to like uh trying to get caught up on that. But I absolutely loved the competitive environment the way the crowds were interacting um, if, back at that time, like Starcraft was kind of like the top dog. This is, this has to be like, I'm kind of guessing, but I think it's like around 2011, 2010, but Starcraft was, was like the, like the premier esport at the time. And Red Bull actually had a lot of really good, like Starcraft events. 
And uh, what we started seeing was there would be events uh, where they would be like half of the stage was Starcraft and the other half was like League of Legends. And they would both be equally as full, but the League of Legends side, like the fans were jumping and screaming and going wild. And like the Starcraft side was like golf claps like going on. Um, I mean, the, the games are, I mean, Starcraft's an insane game. Like those players were incredibly good. But for me, like seeing the way the crowds were getting so excited about League of Legends is infectious. And for me, I was like, oh man, like what's going on over there? I need to go check this out. This sounds really fun. Like Star- Starcraft is cool, but this is like, whoa, this is, this is happening. This is, and it was growing. And you can see like the, the stream viewership was just bursting on League of Legends. It was kind of felt like where we just started seeing like the viewership lines with League of, like, League of Legends and esports was where it was first really just started to grow at an incredible rate. So um, I would say the competitive scene of League of Legends was love at first sight. Like I, the, the, I just wanted to be a part of it before I even knew what the hell was going on. So how did you become a part of it? Funnily enough, like uh, I was working at Crunchyroll, which is an anime website, which is very popular now. But at the time when I joined, it was like 10 employees or something. It was quite small. And um, I was a, like one of the very early sales people brought in to come in and make this site, pro- you know, make some money. Like it was a great site, but they, they needed money. As I was going through that process of getting them up and running, a lot of my clients also advertised on Team Solomon net which was you know andy din's company but he was like i kid you not i think he was 16 or 17 at the time like he was quite young and he was his main um, focus at the time was writing guides for the site and one of my clients said hey i also buy advertising on team sullivan not dead your audiences are really similar do you think you could talk with reginald about like his website and what he's doing and kind of help him got the exact same amount of people viewing it as Crunchyroll, but it's just, they don't really have anyone running sales there and they could probably use some help. So I'm like, yeah, sure. sounds good. You know, it's a good client. And I, I talked with, with um, Andy Din and after a few conversations um, we met up for lunch and we just hit it off. And it it was kind of funny though, because I I remember him walking in uh, we, we met up for, for lunch in, in in Palo Alto. And if you know Northern California at all, but I was living in San Francisco, which is, and and he was living in San Jose and Palo Alto is right in the middle. And we met up this place called Peninsula Creamery. And like this kid, like he's like, he's a, he's a kid. Like he walks in, hat backwards, just like a little kid. I'm like, oh my god! Like your site's insane, dude. You're you're actually incredible. Like what you've done, and he's like, yo, hey, I want you to come work for me. And I'm like, no, <laughs> but I want to help you. And uh, I convinced my boss to like, hey, you know, this the site. It's the same size as Crunchyroll. If if I can represent. Solomid and Crunchyroll, I'm pretty sure it'll be good for both you guys because our reach will be larger, which is more attractive to advertisers. It'll be, it'll be definitely one of those special win-win situations. So that was like my entry into esports, into League of Legends. How did you know then, Jack, that you wanted to break free and do your own team? I actually had, there was a game, a team called GGU, Good Game University, which Darshan, with my current academy top laner, was on. They were the second place team in the LCS. Um, TSM had beat them. And they were looking for a new owner. And they came to, and I talked to the owner and, and I actually negotiated um, a price to buy them. And I went and talked to my CEO and said, hey, like, 
is it okay for me to have my own team? I'm not working. I'm not like spending time on my client. It's a hobby. This is way, this is early, early days. Like esports wasn't really money at all. It's like, I think I was 20 grand for the entire team in LCS spot, which is kind of crazy considering today's dollars. And he's like, yeah, that, that totally is fine. If you want to do this on the side, like I totally support that. And which again, like what, what, how many bosses would say that? Not many. It was really cool. Um, so I bought it. I bought GGU. And then I called up the whole team players together. I was like, hey, I'm your new owner, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, wait, what? Like, you're a great guy, Jack, but we don't really want to play for you. We, we actually want to play for this other guy who's one of our friends who wants to buy the team. I'm like, uh-oh, that's a problem. So what am I going to do? And like my options were like, I basically had this LCS slot, but none of the players wanted to come with me. They wanted to do another project, which is fine. So uh, my options were just replace the entire team, which did not feel good. Um, or I had this other opportunity because uh, I had been introduced to Medios and introduced to High, which is this team that just won into the LCS. And High's like, hey, dude, I just got into the LCS. I love what you did with, with TSM. Would you buy out our contracts and just, you know, would you make a team with us? And I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. Not only are you guys insane, you're really good. I I'd see them scrimming against TSM and they did bad things to TSM. Um, <laughs> this is a great opportunity. I'll just sell GGU to the owners that these players wanted to play for, and I'll take on highest team. And it all and here we are today. It totally worked out. Like it was, it was amazing. Um, somehow, like my wife approved me spending another, I think, ten thousand dollars on getting uh, on acquiring these players. I sold the team for the exact same uh, GGU team that for the exact same uh, price that I paid, and it worked out because that team was lights out good and would go on in a short period of time to win lcs yeah within six within six months we were the lcs champions for summer 2013. well before we start talking a bit more about the cloud nine league of legends team when did you actually first start playing league because for me personally the first league event mm. i saw and attended was in 2015 but i actually didn't start playing it to a lot later so i had to sort of learn everything by watching and then eventually i started to actually play so i'm wondering when you found time to actually get into it it, it was pretty early on it was pretty early on because like andy and i were like attached at the hip at the time like reginald and we he wanted to play games with me he's like hey you want to play some wow together because that's what i was playing a lot at the time I'm like yeah let's play some wow together like hey do you want to play league together i'm like sure and like he was really patient and would play the game with me even though i was like feeding all over the place so pretty early on it had to be like no later than 2012 that i started like playing the game started my grind got my and got myself out of uh, a bronze and straight into silver and then promptly got stuck who were you maining so when I first started, I think I was actually playing a lot of Ezreal at that time. And that was really not a good champion to start with. And at some point I found Sona, which is great because you just press a button and you hit everything around you or you heal everything around you. And all I had to do is, you know, drop wards and try not to die. And, um, and, and but I, I really enjoyed uh, Sona, Leona, Ezreal at the time. But when I started playing Malzahar, that's when I knew I found the champ that was for me. Tell me about Malzahar. Malzahar mid uh, and top and support or whatever the hell it's up, maybe jungle is what I'm all about. And I, I really enjoy Malzahar because I don't actually have to last hit anything. 
I just drop dots and walk away and let them do the work. I got pets, I got dots, I got stuns. It's like, you know, uh, for me, it's a fantastic champion where I can really focus on team play as opposed to uh, last hitting. How does it feel when you play League, given that it is a team game, there are long drawn out battles when it's going well for both teams? Obviously, sometimes games can end Mm -hmm. in 20 minutes occasionally. Mm -hmm. But it can be, you need stamina. And you need to keep your stress levels down. You need to communicate. So, yeah, what does it feel like to play League for you? You know, it's a a fun game in that you need to excel in many different areas. You need to be dropping wards to be able to identify where enemies are going. You need to be having really good um, teamwork with your team. Because just because you like, I, I could say stomp mid and just have really good CS if i'm not supporting the rest of my team you're you're probably going going to lose and so you it requires coordination on vision supporting your other lanes that are winning you want to basically help them win harder um try to help out the lanes that are are struggling uh you need to have it it is a lot of individual uh, requirements on making sure that like hey you're not falling behind on cs at the same time paying attention to work to you know to warn your teammates on what's going on so it's it's nice in that um it pushes you in a lot of different areas and you can excel in some of these areas. And if you're still a good teammate, you're still going to have pretty good success. Now, this is coming from a guy that I build really good teams. Um, I'm still in Silvertown, so it's super hard to say like I'm an expert or anything like that. Um, but, you know, we all support where, where we can help the best. And I do recognize that the best thing for me to do is to build teams, not necessarily play. Esports Live is such an incredible emotional experience. Being in an mm-hmm. arena with thousands of people watching the same thing there to enjoy the same thing mm-hmm. i would love to know in terms of league of legends what your favorite moment has been from your experience of having a team in the lcs oh man favorite moment in league of legends um it was pretty special winning yeah there's there's a lot because like getting to semifinals was nuts it seemed impossible like actually beating Africa, uh, it just seemed like it, winning against a Korean team. It just seemed like impossible for so long, especially being a North American team. So actually, just qualifying for semifinals. That's weird. Getting excited about just qualifying for semifinals, but at like it's, a big, it's a big deal at Worlds for for a North American team to get that far. And that that felt like the. I think it's again. It's like this global support. Like everyone in NA was freaking out. I think. Kobe was like crying, like on, like on camera, like it just meant a lot to our region um, for that to happen. And so that was really special because it was all of us together. Um, uh, obviously, uh, and also like last spring, winning our first title in like five plus years, which is crazy to think about. Um, we've been on the final stage now, I think 10 times. And we've only won four times out of those 10. Um, so we don't have like this history of like just crushing it in finals. It's actually quite the opposite. Uh, so winning last spring was was really, it felt really good. Uh, we immediately broke our, our 2013 trophy while doing that because it's COVID. We don't even have the actual trophy. So like I grabbed like one of our old trophies because I, my players got to lift a trophy, right? So grab one of the old trophies, polish it up real quick and like, let's walk us into the room and we, and I give it to the players to lift up and we're in our, we're in our, our house. We have low ceilings. They raise it up and smash it into our roof, knock the gem out. And then, and then instead of lowering it, they drop it 
<laughs> it's the crowd. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, guys. And I, uh, and um, all we could do is laugh, you know, <laughs> it's just like, really? And it was really funny because like, um, uh, I was, you know, watching our most recent one here and, uh, and I, I was watching some VODs of it with like Twitch VODs where you can see the, the chat and, um, and people are saying like, drop it, drop the trophy. It's like almost like a thing. We got to destroy it as soon as we get it. Uh, but that was a real special moment, especially since like, you know, you've been locked in for a while to, to have some joy is really nice. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how far Cloud9 can go this year with perks. Hopefully we'll get to see mm. you guys competing at the Worlds at the oh end of the God. year. The guy's insane. Like he definitely delivered on his promise. It was an expensive, I think an expensive uh, investment, and he 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 earned it. He proved that he is the best Western player that's ever played the game, uh, and definitely the most decorated. That's without a doubt. Jack, if League of Legends hadn't come along, do you think you'd be where you are right now? I don't know, honestly, because it's hard to say. I was running sales at Crunchyroll, and I absolutely loved it. And I, I was playing a lot of like video games at the time. Um, I was playing a lot. I was raiding World of Warcraft, and I loved that. But it was a very special opportunity to be introduced to League of Legends the way I was. And I'm not quite sure if if things would have like you know fallen out the same way. Um, there's you know, and leaving Crunchyroll was tough. Like uh, it was you know, I, it was very fulfilling, really fun. Loved the people that were there. I was very loyal to them, and I think you know, for a long time, I was working at Crunchyroll while I was helping TSM and I was running cloud nine. And I think the, one of the, the, the one of the main reasons that I did leave was that, um, it was acquired by AT&T. And so a lot of the people that I worked with for a long time were, were leaving. So it just seemed like the right time to go, but I, it was not because I didn't, I didn't like the job. I still loved it. I still liked a lot of the people who were there. So, um, it was just that the cloud nine opportunity was so strong at that point in time. So uh, I, it's hard to say, you know, God knows where things would have gone. Um, I do think I'm really well suited to do this job. And so I'm really feel lucky to have, uh, I guess, fallen into it in the way I have. Jack, to support this podcast, we're putting together a special Save Your Game playlist of some of our favorite songs from the games we love. I'm just wondering if there are any songs you would include, maybe some of those very famous League of Legends World Championship theme tunes? Uh, wait, are you thinking like Silver Scrapes? Because honestly, when I think about the song, I think about way too much. We've been in way too many Game 5s. And that that song is like in, is is just... It's stuck in my head. And also, I don't know if you know, like, the, kind of the history of that song. This was when I was with TSM. I think it had to be Worlds 2012. I could be wrong on that. Um, and I, so I think it would be, like, season two. And we had an outdoor Worlds. It was here in L.A. at L.A. Live. Riot was having some technical issues uh, with the stages or the internet. I think it was an internet outage. And so um, they put this song, Silver Scrapes, like on a constant loop. And it had to be about, it had to be like five hours, six hours. I don't know. It was a long time. The, and this song was just going on and on. It's like, da, da. And like, imagine that for like six hours. It's not so great. Like after six hours and Riot Base is like, yo, we're done with this song. Like after that experience, like we're not doing that song. And unless, unless 
we're going to game five. And after game four, if you're going to a game five, that's a, the only time when that game is played. And now Cloud9 has done so many game fives. I've heard that song a lot. And I associate that song with a lot of stress. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of those game fives. So that's not necessarily great feelings, but there's a lot of there's a lot of history with that song. So, yeah. Silver Scrapes, I think it's got to be a part of it. I mean, at this point. I, I absolutely agree. Okay, there's a bit of a jump back in time now to introduce the next game. But the game we are going to talk about next is the text-based adventure game Dragon Realms. Right. Dragon Realms is a medieval fantasy game set in the world of Alanthea, released in February 1996. Yes. A surprising one for me, Jack. This isn't a graphics game. This is simply one where you're typing things in and you're making up the stories you go along. Is that right? You definitely are typing things in. You aren't necessarily making up the game as it goes along. It is like the earliest days of MMORPGs. Imagine WoW, but only the text box basically text representation of everything you're seeing and you're playing against or with other players. So there's PVP aspects to it. And uh, you have like similar like, you know, raid type environments where you're going after bosses with your friends or you're going after your your friends or enemies as well. But it's a completely text-based game. So how did you even get introduced to it? You know, honestly, um, this is going way back in the days, pre like, uh, fiber networks. This is like dial up times. And the provider I had just suggested it go check out this game. Most of the games that I had played, you know, prior to that would be console like Nintendo, that type of stuff. But it's like the earliest way for you to play against other people in the world, like in a PVP or as a group. Um, and it was really exciting to me to actually, you know, fight against other people or work on group objectives together with other people. And to be frank, like, you know, the internet wasn't good enough for like graphical games, but you could do text games and you would use your imagination to kind of fill in the blanks. But still the aspect of being better than your opponent or trying to do things as a, as a group was still there. And it was really fun for me. So who were you playing this with? Were they all random people that you just met in the game server or were they friends from school? I had friends from school that we played it together, um, but then we made friends online, like all across the world who were playing this game. And for me, like in a text-based game, so it offered some really interesting stuff where you could write what we called scripts. They're a little, basically little programs that would, you know, interact with the environment. And for me, I was very intrigued in writing scripts to make my character grow as fast as possible. And the whole process of writing scripts that was that were super efficient was really fun for me. And you know, you you'd be out there like growing your character, getting in-game currency, you know, basically I I was competing in a lot of ways against myself to make my my characters grow more efficiently and also watching the growth of my competitors and trying to grow my character faster than they were. And that whole process of writing scripts and interacting with a game like that was really interesting to me. What kind of character did you build? I built many uh, and I would have many going at the same time because I'd be writing multiple different scripts to try to to just make as many characters as possible. My main character was called was, was a moon mage. And of course, he was the biggest moon mage in the game because um, I'm super competitive like that. And but it was really fun, like basically competing against everybody else to make sure that I was always ahead of the rest of the group. And eventually, like in a lot of other games, they could be really lucrative. Like I didn't have a lot of money like when I was in college and I I was selling my in-game, I was essentially as a gold farmer, was selling 
my in-game currency and the characters I was creating to actually pay my way like through college. And actually I was making more money selling currency and characters than I was in my first job out of college. So do you think that Dragon Realms kind of introduced you to the, the gaming business in a way, Jack? I suppose so. It's it's kind of like a, you know, there's it's often looked down upon to be like a gold farmer or scripting characters. And so it wasn't something I generally would talk about uh, widely, but it's a it's a unique part of my history that I've learned to embrace and now I'm kind of proud of it. Like I paid off my school debt and paid my bills, you know, being a gold farmer selling characters right out of college. It definitely is a part of my history that I don't think I've really ever talked about with anyone before, but I'm now comfortable sharing it. <laughs> I mean, if you can do it, you can do it. You learn valuable skills. You made some money in gaming, which not many people were doing unless they were making the games back in 1996. You have to respect it. I do. There was a, a bit of a game that I was playing because obviously the publishers didn't necessarily like that I was generating money out of their game. They just wanted me to play the game for fun. And so I had a, multiple characters running at the same time. So I had to always be making sure that I was aware of GMs who come in and ask me questions to make sure I wasn't AFK and I was actually there. And so I had to build a lot of tools to alert me when GMs would be asking me questions that I had to respond to or I'd get my accounts banned. So was, I was constantly trying to develop my systems and scripts to be able to catch GMs trying to catch me. And there was a lot of risk because like they wouldn't just ban that one character they would get that they would catch, they would ban all sometimes eight or 10 of my accounts that are running at the same time, which had like actual real dollar value. So I had to, you know, protect like my little business while going within their rules. And I was constantly, you know, in a gray area, making sure that I was, I was following their rules. Do you think you kind of enjoyed that peril that you created? Uh, yes, I definitely did. What did you learn from that experience? You know, that process of constantly trying to be efficient and like gathering the stats and looking to turn these things to my advantages has definitely served me well in a, in a bunch of different areas. Maybe not, maybe not directly, but having that mindset of being curious, of trying to figure out how can I, you know, what I'm doing is great, but can I make it better? One little 1% improvements I can I do and always having competition from other players that are doing the same really drove us to all to push each other to be better. It was, it was really fun. So gold farming aside, how did a, a typical <laughs> session of Dragon Realms work? Like, How did a raid work when you're literally looking at a wall of text and typing your contributions every now and again? I mean, the text would be going by so fast so that when you first started the game, you would basically be like, whoa, I need to just read what's going on. There's just so much happening that I can't keep up with it. What was interesting is, A, I learned how to type a lot faster to be able to react to what was going on. But you also start recognizing patterns, even though the text is flying by really fast, you would figure out which information is not really super valuable. Or you're ready, you can kind of get the, the feel of what was happening. And you could gather like, a, you know, the important pieces of information from little bits and flashes of the text that were going by. And it was pretty amazing, like actually how much you could understand and, and interact with what the world was going on with, with even though it was flying by so quickly. And you think about it, they would have like uh, these paid tours, essentially, you would pay like $15 to go to like, say this island. And on this island, you got your group could either all, you know, go their separate ways, but may not be able to actually beat some of the bosses, or you would have to team up with people you didn't even know, they just also paid like $15 to come on this event as well. And uh, I would say like the closest like, analogy to this would be like, 
on this island there would be a a dungeon master something something like and it would be like their gm um and he would come in and basically guide the tour throw monsters at you and make the event somewhat unique so it wasn't the same experience every time and that's unlike what you see with world of warcraft like the raid is is what the raid is no there's you're not going to get any personalized attention from a gm coming in to to make it unique on in dragon realms when you pay to go on these like adventures there would actually be staff there to interact with you which made it kind of fun and it, and that was a crossover to more of a dungeons and dragon style uh, event that's incredible are there any games aside from obviously dungeons and dragons but you know but obviously that's a tabletop game do you know of any games that are doing that today because that's incredible i mean they still they, they still exist people still play these games Dragon Realms is still open for business, and so are several other MUDs that are out there. Obviously, they're not nearly as popular as they used to be. Back when I was playing it, there'd be you know tens of thousands of people playing this game. My guess is just probably like maybe a thousand players at any one time now. Do you have a favorite memory from playing the game? Yeah, on one of those like uh, island adventures, there was a boss that was put in front of us, and we weren't supposed to be able to kill it. But apparently, the spell I was using was a bit either bugged or they didn't expect the damage to go through the way it would and ended up one-shotting the guy and he dropped this really cool hammer that was like super unique incredibly good so heavy and unwieldy i couldn't actually even use it but the stats on it were so incredible it was awesome and so i, I always really loved that i had this really cool super unique item that no one would ever have uh, unlike you would have like a world of warcraft like everyone could basically get the same weapons i had this super unique weapon mainly because of a bug in the game and they didn't expect the amount of damage it would come through and actually one shot this boss who dropped this cool weapon so that, i loved that really unique um experience that i had that you were the bandit of dragon realms a bit yeah <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> did you ever get to meet any of the people that you met through dragon realms in real life or are you still talking to any of them now yeah like we had like you know at least once a year conventions where we'd all fly out to like uh, st louis is where the company is from so we'd fly out there and all hang out and and you know swap stories and so i met a lot of people that were great people and were people like he's the guy with the hammer no, they weren't the guy like he's the guy with the hammer, but he's that jerk who like, you know, he's obviously scripting. And if we come mess with him, he'll pop your head. <laughs> Amazing. So you're still a badass mm. of Dragon Realms. That's uh, yeah, incredible. Yeah. A text world badass. <laughs> Get that on a t-shirt, Jack. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's really, it's what's really cool is that there's a, a lot of people in the gaming industry that actually played this game when they were younger. Um, some like CEOs of large companies in the gaming space, they played it and we've, you know, sat and talked about this world that we all played in. Oh, amazing. I, I kind of want to see like a Dragon Realms inspired Dungeons and Dragons session between all of yeah. you now. That could I be really would cool. Absolutely, I would absolutely love that. Yeah. Oh, see, always thinking of things that we can make happen here at Save Your Game. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dragon Realms, like most text-based adventures, can seem a little overwhelming to get started, but one of the benefits of a game that has been around for so long is that there are multiple extensive guides to playing. So head to play.net forward slash dr to learn more about Dragon Realms and maybe get started on your own adventure. While I've got you here, gold farming, legendary hammer holding Jack, I've got to ask, <laughs> have you got any tips for players who just want to dive in and give this game a go? Oh, just, I mean, uh, I think they actually have like a, a free to play model now so you can jump on in. Um, 
if you take the time to read it and play with the game, it's a beautifully written game that has a, a ton of depth into it. And you can, you know, obviously have all the, 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 the basic class system that we're all used to. But what's really cool about that game is any skill in the game you can actually learn. So if you're a mage, but you want to learn how to like hide in shadows and use, you know, use daggers, you can, and it might be, you might be a little bit slower at picking it up, but you can use basically an endless world where you can try all these little different things out. And yes, classes will have advantages and learn things faster, but you can do it if you want to. And I thought it was just really fun that you could, you know, you could build your character any way you want. It wasn't a cookie cutter. Each character was very unique. So like, if you, if you take the time, and you love reading, I think you could really get into this game. There's no better GPU than your brain. And it's pretty amazing what, you know, when you push it, what you can get out of it. And why could it potentially be the game that you saved today? I think it's just, there's a level of depth and complexity to the characters and the games that you can have in a text-based game that's very unique and different than like the standard like world of warcraft type of game i think it really appeals to a lot of people uh you can make it as slow paced as you like and really enjoy like the the interaction and more of like an rp like environment if that's what you're into but if you're just into the hack and slash grow really fast it also has that apps uh you know that has those avenues as well do you think that text-based games could make a bigger comeback no <laughs> i do not think so i mean you can download Wild Rift for free, and it's freaking amazing. And uh, so, no, I think that is uh, is time has passed. So there, we have your games, Jack, and they all clearly mean a lot. So I can imagine it's going to be tough to save just one. Mm -hmm. But before we do get to that, were there any other games that you might have mentioned today if you didn't have to whittle it down to just three? Oh, I mean, that's so tough, right? And when I when I pick these games, I think I mainly picked. Um, they're at least with League of Legends and World of Warcraft. It's like those are the games that had the maximum um, impact on my life, and I wouldn't be here today without those games. Um, huge thanks to Blizzard. Huge thanks to Riot um, on on building those games for me. But I abs like as far as I think, sit down and watch a game, not necessarily play. Like Counter Strike's insane. It's such a good game. It's such a good game to watch. So a great spectator game. So it's it's you know I feel like maybe I haven't mentioned Counter Strike enough because like as far as esports it is the gold standard and I think the way that they made the um, the pacing of the game and the simplification of the game has made it a game that has a special place in esports and I think it's going to be something that anyone who's looking to build a good game that wants to be good esport has to take notice of. Well, the time has now come. You now have to choose one title, the game above all others that you could not live without. So Jack, are you ready to make your choice? Yeah, I'm ready. Jack Etienne, your official game to save for the Save Your Game podcast is? I could not live without League of Legends. This is the game that I love to watch. I love to play. I made a business around. I work on it every single day. I dream about it. You know, uh, it's the game for me. Well, there you have it. I guessed that one, and I'm sure a few listeners did as well. <laughs> We've got another entry into the Save Your Game podcast. Oh, a re-entry, because you're not the only person who chose League of Legends. You're actually in good company, because a fellow CEO, Carlos Rodriguez of D2, also <laughs> chose League of Legends. Great minds think alike. Guy's got good taste. He does indeed. Mm -hmm. Loves loves a good can of Red Bull, so I hear. Yes, we do. <laughs> and we love our perks. <laughs> oh, no. 
Please makes him a lot of money. That. I mean, he traded trophies for money. I can respect that. But I'll take the trophy. The trophies are mine now. Oh my God. MSI is mine this. now. <laughs> but hey, I hope the money is keeping you warm. And you got, you can dry all those tears with those dollars. I am looking forward to seeing the Carlos versus Jack TFT tournament. That's going to um, happen. I'm so down. I'm not, because I'm not playing against him in the league. You've crushed me. That is it for this week. Thank you so much, Jack, for joining me today and for saving League of Legends for the Save Your Game podcast. If you guys enjoyed the show, please make sure you subscribe and rate the podcast and feel free to leave a review telling us which game you'd induct into the Red Bull Save Your Game Championship and why. You can also get in touch with us via our socials at Red Bull Gaming with your thoughts or you can get in touch with us at Red Bull Gaming using our hashtag Save Your Game Podcast. See you next time. 